and gentlemen, welcome back to the Switched Podcast. We have a real interesting one for you today, folks. Today I'm going to talk about what makes a Zelda game a Zelda game. Uh, And basically, uh, through um, talking about different categories of what makes a Zelda game a Zelda game, I'm going to propose um, a new Zelda game with certain elements that would basically be the ultimate one. Um, More or less, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite things from each individual game in the series uh, and kind of combine them and balance them in such a way uh, that we end up with the perfect Zelda game. Um, And through that, we're going to get into some discussions about what the series really is. Um, We're going to get into some strengths and weaknesses about certain games, um, and we're going to, all in all, kind of talk about what it really means to be a Zelda game, the formula on how to make one, all sorts of fun stuff related to my favorite series of all time, Um, and it should be a ride, so let's just jump right into it. Now, I want to kick off this uh, Ultimate Zelda game extravaganza um, by theorizing what the peak of Zelda worlds would look like. Um, And by that, of course, I'm going to talk about the Zelda world, the Zelda game that has the strongest world, arguably, um, Breath of the Wild. So, Breath of the Wild had some problems, as I discussed in my second ever podcast episode, I believe. It was one of the early ones. It was a Breath of the Wild Mario Odyssey double review where I talked about um, some of the things in Breath of the Wild I didn't like as much. Um, But I think everybody can agree that one of the things they really excelled with in Breath of the Wild was the world. And the gameplay in general is like the definitely the funnest part of Breath of the Wild. Um, Just traversing that massive world, climbing the hills, climbing the rocks... Um, finding the secret chests under the water and little like cave areas, um, all that stuff, all that great exploration goodness was excellent and definitely um, probably one of the best Legend of Zelda worlds. I could maybe argue um, that there wasn't quite as much to find uh, as some other Zelda games, um, but also that's kind of a cost you have to be willing to pay um, when it comes to... Uh, having a truly open world Zelda game. Um, And my proposed perfect ultimate Zelda game um, would also have an open world. Um, And I'm going to get into some of the differences I would make. So first of all, um, if we're going to create an open world Zelda game, we really, really, really need to emphasize three major things. Um, One, scope and scale. Two, uh, traversability, and three, uh, exploration and landmarks. And of course, I'm going to start off with exploration and landmarks, so that's pretty self-explanatory. In Breath of the Wild, you had like your enemy towers, you had your enemy camps, you had shrines to go into, you had horse stable outposts to stop at and gear up and uh, stable your horse or pull out a different horse. Um, There was some small towns with different shops, that kind of thing. Um, This Ultimate Zelda game would definitely have all of these, um, and hopefully a little more. I want to call back on Twilight Princess a little bit for this part. If you recall, um, Twilight Princess had some excellent uh, 
many dungeons hidden in the world in Hyrule Field. Um, in those many dungeons, there was like an ice cave one where you had to push ice blocks, similarly to the actual ice dungeon. Um, and it was just a little mini area, and completing it got you a heart container. Um, I feel like we would do really good having more hidden things. Like the Cave of Ordeals in Twilight Princess is another good example. Um, it was very similar to the same sort of thing that they did on Wind Waker on Outset Island under the headstone. Um, basically, the Ultimate Zelda game would just have to have lots of hidden little uh, different types of dungeons. Um, shrines could sort of be a thing still, or they could swap it out for like a dungeon dungeon. Um, and I like the idea that there could be caves, and the caves could have some stuff in them as well. A lot of older Zelda games, especially like the early like top-down 2D ones, or like the Game Boy one, uh, Link's Awakening, and the Oracle games, and Link to the Past, all had these caves where Link would go in them and there'd be some sort of gimmick in each cave whether it was like a rock to blow up to lead to a secret passage where you had to fight some enemies and find a rupee or um, anywhere even as far as having like a hidden NPC who needs you to do something for him like for a side quest um, and I definitely think that the Ultimate Zelda game would have to have hidden caves like this that have little things in them like that they really need to take that inspiration from um, Link to the Past and sort of bring it back um, and innovate on it uh, they could have all sorts of like hidden caves um, or I was even thinking that they could have like guard outposts which could be similar to horse stables um, and in the guard outposts they could either be being attacked by uh, villains when you get there and you have to defeat them and save the guards um, for being overwhelmed or they could um, be like simple lookout points um, sort of similar to like the uh what are they called? The Tower... Sheikah Towers, I think is what they were called in, in Breath of the Wild, where you can sort of unlock chunks of the map. Um, and in a way, I think it would be more interesting and uh, more thoughtful than just, like, unlocking part of the map if you had, like, a little mini side quest. Considering the way that they handled it in Breath of the Wild, which I think would be a perfectly fine way to handle it in this theoretical Zelda game, where you just sort of go there and there's like nine of them, I don't think it would be too much extra work for them to put an extra little side quest per tower. Um, and like, even if it's like a little one, like um, they got locked out of the tower and you have to enter a small mini dungeon inside of a cave nearby um, to find the extra key that they hid in there. Something like that. Um, if that makes any sense. And that actually goes pretty well into another thing about um, the exploring and landmarks portion of the world, uh, and that would be towns and cities. Um, so when I think of Breath of the Wild, um, you mostly think of destroyed and dilapidated towns. There's like three major towns in the game, Otherwise, the rest of the actual civilization of towns and villages in the game are all, like, destroyed. Um, if they were going to make an uh, even better Zelda game, and hopefully they do this for Breath of the Wild 2 when it comes out inevitably someday, um, it would be great to see some of that civilization rebuilt um, and have houses and cities with walls and stuff like that or even little villages that are just more a little more populated i kind of think of the witcher 3 when i 
when I'm envisioning this. So you can walk around, and there are little towns, and the little towns each have their own little side stories going on, um, and their own characters. Um, and then you run into towns which are like Castle Town or um, Clock Town from Majora's Mask. Um, and those towns are like bigger cities, I guess you could say. Um, and they could be similar to The Witcher 3 cities, where you sort of have to go through city walls. And there's like gates, and the guards are guarding the gates, and you have to convince them to let you in. Maybe you don't have to convince them to let you in or anything like that. But it would be great to see some build-up and some society in the game. I know that, like, the whole point of Breath of the Wild was the wild, um, but I would love to see some more civilization in the games, um, and I would definitely love to see some actual established cities and towns. That would be insane, and that'd be really cool um, to see. I would love to see just, like... I I want the world to feel like it's lived in in a more major way, than in Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild feels like there's a couple creatures left on the planet taking refuge in whatever areas they can find and just managing to survive. I want a game where it feels like the people of Hyrule are surviving and they're thriving. Um, And that's sort of like what I'm trying to get at with the landmarks um, in the towns and cities and the dungeons and that kind of thing. I want like there to be more to find in the world. Uh, That was always one of my biggest complaints with Breath of the Wild. There are plenty of shrines. There are plenty of Korok Seed, useless Korok Seed quests. Um, but I want more characters. I want more story. Give me some more story, guys, please. Um, and going into traversal briefly here. Um, obviously, in Breath of the Wild, uh, you can paraglide. You can climb walls. You can run around. You can ride your horse. Eventually, you can ride the Master Cycle Zero. Um, And all of those methods of travel are great. And as you unlock different ones or try out with different ones, it changes the way you play Breath of the Wild. Um, I remember when I first climbed, like, a cliff to get up to, like, a little campfire where there were some enemies. And then I killed them and I unlocked a chest. It felt so good. Because in Skyrim, you're kind of like roped off where you can explore and there's like mines and things um but you can't just really go up um in breath of the wild you can go up like wherever you want which i really really like um and you can go up in skyrim but it's usually pretty janky i love the climbing um and the horseback always made the world it was crazy how the world still felt really huge um but horseback made it feel like you were really journeying instead of just hopelessly running in a massive open world. Um, and that being said as well, uh, the Master Cycle Zero even took that a step further. After you got the Master Cycle, it really kind of felt like the world was your bitch, um, and you could just kind of travel around as freely and as swiftly as you wanted. Um, and I think that something that would really, really benefit uh, this spiritual, uh, perfect, uh, theoretical Zelda game, the ultimate Zelda game, Um, would be more traversal options. I would love to see them use items to bring more traversal options. Um, And you can even do it on like a per-terrain basis. Like let's say there's a giant wooded area, uh, like the Lost Woods in Breath of the Wild. Um, You could use the grappling hook to like swing. Like think of like the Wind Waker grappling hook, how you used to latch around the 
like the out jutting areas imagine if you could grapple hook on the trees and swing through the woods in an open world zelda game that'd be really cool or i think of twilight princess again um how it had the spinning top item you got in the um in the desert area um the spinning top could almost be a good traversal method for a desert area in this theoretical zelda game if there's a desert region in this game um, maybe your horse sinks into the sand too much and it makes your horse go really slow so what you can get is you can get the spinning top as an item again um, and it lets you sort of spin and self-propel yourself around the desert instead of having to just deal with um, going on foot or riding around on the on the sand walruses i forgot about those too those were a really interesting form of transportation but they weren't quite as plausible or easy to use as some of the other ones i think it would be great for them to bring back that spinning top and have you spin through the desert and just bring that item back in general i actually really liked it in uh twilight princess and i think it'd be really cool to bring the track um so you can use it for a dungeon again back um and even you could have it set up so um there could be like that could be a quick way to go up um a mountain or something like they could you could write it into the lore that the Sheikah set up that spinning top track on certain areas. So the first time you go there, you have to climb it. But eventually later on in the game, once you do have the top unlocked, um, you could just use the spinning top to get up. And I think that'd be really cool. And anytime you talk about um, introducing an open world into a video game, I think it's crucial for the developers to talk about scope. Um, and when it comes to creating an open world game, uh, scope is crucial because you don't want to have a massive, massive, massive open world with absolutely nothing in it. Um, you could run into a situation like uh, a lot of Skyrim's areas. There are some areas in Skyrim where there's like absolutely nothing and that's not the best example because Skyrim actually has quite a bit of dungeons and stuff like that. Um, but I guess a better example would be like something like GTA. When you play GTA, everything's happening in the city. And then you go north and you get into that like desert area. And after you do a couple story missions there, there's realistically nothing there. And it's kind of just an area for your character to drive through. And there's lots of other examples as well in other open worlds. Um, especially, like, Fallout. Fallout does not have anywhere near the amount of, like, dungeons and stuff as Skyrim does. Fallout truly starts to feel, uh, pretty empty in certain parts. I mean, the most you'll get in Fallout is, like, a house that you can loot and stuff like that. And it's usually the same kind of thing. Or you'll fight a boat fly or two. Um, but that's the main, uh, kind of thing you really have to hone in on when you want to make an open world video game. Uh, is you have to get that scope just right and you have to make the world big enough that it feels massive but not so big that you have trouble filling it and it feels empty and Breath of the Wild did a decent job at this I feel like um, Breath of the Wild's world size was just about perfect honestly uh, if they introduced any more to that they probably would get into a situation where it would feel even more empty than it can at times. Um, but the, that being said, I believe that the perfect Ultimate Zelda game 
um, would probably have about the same size world as a as Breath of the Wild does. Um, and going on to that a little bit further, um, if they wanted to add some space to the world, some extra space so they could put on the side of the box that it's huge, um, my suggestion would be biomes. Um, so they already kind of do this in Breath of the Wild as well, but really if they just expanded upon it, I think they could make um, the world feel that much more alive. Um, so have distinct regions. They already definitely do this in Breath of the Wild with like the snowy area and the desert area and like the plains and the hills and the Goron like Death Mountain area. Um, take this another step further. Um, I don't know if you folks actually know this, but Breath of the Wild was actually planned to have more divine beasts than it had. Um, I'm pretty sure if I recall, there was only four uh, shipped in the fi- in the final game, but they actually planned to have one divine beast per seven sage. So they wanted to have seven divine beasts total, if I'm recalling this correctly. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up isn't to get into a discussion about how Breath of the Wild had cut content, because most games have cut content. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, one of the Divine Beasts was actually like a turtle or a whale. It was a whale, I believe. Um, and it was in the ocean. And so basically, they had plans to have a more sort of expanded ocean area. And you can still see on the map where it would kind of go if it was still in the game. Um, and the area, if you go there, feels kind of fleshed out, but not as fleshed out as some of the other areas. That's because uh, there was so much cut content planned for that area. Um, and that's that like little gulf to the southeast of the map. Um, they planned on putting the whale divine beast in there. Um, and I think that that was a really good idea. And in my like um, spiritual... Uh, ultimate Zelda game, my my speculative Ultimate Zelda game, I would definitely have an ocean area that would be really fleshed out. That would be how you would get sort of like that old Wind Waker vibe that I absolutely love. That makes Wind Waker my favorite Zelda game. Um, and just imagine it, you could basically go to the sort of edge of the map, right? And then... Um, when you get there, there's like a, a port town. Maybe there's a couple port towns dotting the side of the map, um, like in the north and in the south and then in the middle. And then you can sort of um, get on a boat and take the boat out into the water. And there'll, there could be some like islands dotting an area of the water. It doesn't have to be like a huge area or anything, but like. I'm thinking, like, you know, you could have four fairly large islands and maybe, like, like half a dozen or so scattered mini islands and then maybe a couple hidden secret islands, that kind of thing. Um, like, speaking of Wind Waker again here, there was also a lot of islands planned for Wind Waker that got cut uh, during the game's development, such as um, they wanted to have an island that looked like the GameCube and you would go there, and it was literally like a GameCube-shaped island. Um, and they designed so many more islands for Wind Waker uh, that they never ended up using. I feel like they could sort of like rework those into uh, this sort of game. And uh, all this discussion about the world um, brings me to a point as well. This would probably be running on the Breath of the Wild engine. I feel that Breath of the Wild's uh, engine is already 
basically 80 to 90% there as far as this game would be concerned. Um, and I'm going to talk about that more here in a little bit. But especially the world part, um, they got the they got the scale of Breath of the Wild like just right. Everything um, in the world feels big, um, and Link feels small, but it all feels like obtainable. And it's not until you get like Rivali's Gale later on in the game that you can do those massive leaps into the air um, and get you started climbing a little higher up on an object. So some of the bigger cliffs actually become climbable um that it really like starts to feel like you own the world before then you really feel small and you're like you're just kind of um inching along this massive continent as a small like ant-sized character um and we definitely need to bring that feeling back um when we're talking about this world with distinct districts and uh all sorts of like hidden dungeons and things in uh, towns and cities um, that are actually established. It would be seriously so cool going back to the landmarks thing for a second to have an area where like you have a city and they could do like a um, they could do like the same thing that they do in uh, Ocarina of Time, where at night the city gates close. Um, but during the day, the city gates come down, and you can go in, and there could be, like, a little market area, and all sorts of stuff like that. I think it'd be so cool to have, like, cities in Witcher style, uh, in a Zelda game, or even, like, uh, Genshin Impact, honestly. Genshin Impact did a really good job with its towns and cities. Um, but that's sort of all I have about the world. There's some of my thoughts and opinions. Uh, there's definitely more to be said as well, so the, it might come back up later on in the podcast here. Um, but let's jump into something else here. Sorry if I uh, sounded kind of groggy in that last segment. For some reason, I really like the idea of this podcast, so I just recorded that last segment at 3 a.m. on the way to work. Um, but don't worry, it's it's 1 o'clock now, p.m., Um, And I'm definitely a lot more awake. So let's talk about combat, shall we? Um, So obviously, uh, Zelda games are fairly simple when it comes to combat. Um, So you just sort of hold the lock-on button and it locks onto an enemy. And you spam the B button uh, to, you know, attack with your sword. And that's about it. And you can switch out your items to use them during combat whether it's your bow or stunning them with like a boomerang or a claw shot or a slingshot or anything like that um so in this ultimate zelda game i think the combat would need a bit of an overhaul and for inspiration on this i'm not only going to take uh stuff from twilight princess which arguably had the best sword combat out of any zelda game I'm also going to take some uh, inspiration from another game I've been playing recently, um, and that being 2018's God of War. Um, So, uh, to jump into it here, obviously we got to keep all of the classics lock-on and fighting with a sword. I feel like they could easily introduce axes, maybe, or um, just sort of have like Breath of the Wild's weapon system in the sense that you can sort of get different types of weapons. I really like that, and I thought that worked well. Um, Durability-wise, though, I'm not a huge fan of durability. I think instead 
Um, when the weapons break, they should either just be temporarily broken until you go get them repaired at a shop, or better yet, um, maybe you can only have one type of each weapon, so you have to swap them out. And the way they could do that is you could sort of have an inventory of weapons, but you can only use one at a time, and you're like kind of locked into using that one weapon at a time. Um, whether it be by only being able to hold a very limited amount of weapons, um, or um, by straight up only allowing you to hold whatever one weapon uh, that you have. And then maybe if you find a new one in the world, you can send it back to like a Sheikah vault or something like that. That would be really cool. Like the Sheikah slate has the ability to teleport items um, to a Sheikah vault. And you have to go back to like Link's house or something like that to switch it out. Um, that'd be kind of cool also. Um, but I could see it also getting kind of tedious to go all the way back to Link's house just to switch out your weapon. Um, but that being said, I want to talk about the Sheikah Vault later on. Um, going back to the combat, though. Obviously, like I said before, the best Zelda game combat goes to Twilight Princess. I don't think anyone's really denying that. Um, so, of course, the reason Twilight Princess has the best combat is because of the special techniques um, and those are unlocked by finding the white wolves uh, in the random areas of Hyrule. So again, there's another collectible you could hide around. Um, and then once you find the white wolves, they run at you. And you learn the new secret technique from an ancient hero who, in the Hyrule Historia, is actually confirmed to be uh, Link from Ocarina of Time's ghost, which is really, really cool. Um... I definitely think they should bring that back. The secret techniques were so cool, and some of the moves were really excellent, um, such as, like, the helm splitter uh, and the finisher where you, like, uh, jump on them uh, when they're laying on the ground and stab your sword into their chest, and then you flip back and swing your sword and flip it away. That The, st the combat in Twilight Princess was so stylish and cool, and it really felt, like, hefty as well. Um, it it could be better as well. I'm just thinking about God of War. I've been playing a lot of God of War lately. Um, full review coming in a later podcast episode whenever I finish it eventually. I'm, a, I'm probably about halfway through if I had to guess. Um, but God of War's combat system is amazing. The combat in God of War is seriously so fun. And I feel like a lot of elements of it could easily be adapted into the Legend of Zelda series. Um, for starters, Kratos has a uh, heavy and a light attack. And the light attack's obviously faster, and you can do way more of them in succession. And the heavy attack, um, you sort of have to uh, spend some time doing an animation and really put your weight into it in order to get more damage at a slower pace. Um, and I feel like this could work in the Ultimate Zelda game like this. So pressing, um, pressing like B could be your normal uh, fast attack. Uh, and this would be sort of similar to the normal sword attacks that already exist in Zelda games. Um, so you would basically just be able to slice, 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 slice the bad guys um, in rapid succession. Um, and then you could have the, um, the heavy attack. And for the heavy attack, either you could just make the attack slower and Link could, like, just move his arms slower and really focus more power. Or better yet, this is something I was thinking about. If you do a heavy attack, he can put his shield away and 
use both hands on his sword and get that extra strength from both hands. And I'm just imagining Link's like shield, right? He puts his the Highland shield, the Hylian shield on his back, and he has the master sword with two hands, and he really brings down that force, like with a lot of strength, with double hands on the master sword. I think that would be really sick. Um, and that would add a lot to the game. And in addition to that, the way God of War does um, abilities in the game, like weapon abilities, is really cool. So you sort of basically have um, two heavy abilities and two light abilities on your axe. Um, and I feel like, or no, it's not even two, two and two. It's one heavy ability and one light ability. Um, so basically, your heavy ability will be like what happens when you hold down the heavy attack button. And maybe sometimes with a combo of another heavy or of another button to make that differentiate from the regular heavy attack. And then the light combo is the same thing. So, for example, like there's one where you can hold down the heavy attack button um, and Kratos grabs his axe uh, with both hands, funnily enough, like I was kind of proposing. Um, and he brings it down and basically it's a cleave attack and it does massive damage but it's so slow that you can get animation cancelled so basically what you have to do is you have to time it just right think of it like a falcon punch both an axe um, and that's really fun or there's like one where you can shatter the earth to like make like uh, make like like a little mini earthquake come out of the axe when it strikes the ground and do area of effect damage um, and then some of the light attacks are like, uh, I have one that does a, that makes a beam of ice shoot out of Kratos' axe. Um, and that's really, really cool. I love that one so much. I got that one fairly early on into the game and I kept getting different abilities as well. Um, but I never switched it out because of how fun it was. Um, because you literally just feel like you're doing like a freaking uh, Dragon Ball Hamehameha blast or something. Not that I've seen Dragon Ball, but you get the idea. Um, and I definitely feel like these special attacks could be easily implemented in the same way, just drag and drop into the Ultimate Zelda game. Just imagine, like, the Master Sword, instead of just being able to shoot beams um, as, like, a... Oh, my health is maximum, so I can shoot beams while it's maximum. Instead, it's a special ability, and you sort of do it by holding down the button or aiming uh with the left trigger and then holding down the button and what that does is it instead of just shooting like a little wave of light it shoots a whole ass beam out of your sword i think that'd be really cool um and that would be lifted straight from god of war of course but that's not a bad thing i want to emphasize that these ideas that i have from god of war um copying them for the ultimate zelda game is not a bad thing it's actually something that i think would improve the series um because god of war really is like kind of in a way one of the best Zelda games I've ever played which is weird to say and again I'll get into that more in the God of War review when I get back to that um but the combat in that game is seriously so good and a lot of elements of it at a basic level are like Zelda with the lock on and uh sort of the way it feels but the way they improve upon the combat compared to the regular old Zelda combat is really something that I think should be carried over into the Ultimate Zelda game. Um, and that's sort of how I feel about combat. Um, and something else to consider, bow and arrows, I think, should be completely reworked. Um, as they stand right now, in a lot of Zelda games, 
they're sort of they're either too easy to hit things with or they're too hard to hit things with um and like you can z target enemies right and pull out your bow and you don't even have to aim you just shoot 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 that is not necessarily a bad thing um but what is a bad thing is how the aiming works otherwise um so they need to make aiming the bow more faster and more fluid and if they keep improving on the aiming controls eventually they could probably weaken the the auto aim that you get with the um with the l targeting or whatever you want to call it um but still make the bow combat feel worthwhile and interesting um and the way they could do this is sort of like similar to how they uh, could make the sword combat better um they could add special abilities to fighting with the bow um such as they could have like a arrow volley ability where you press the button uh, in rapid succession the fire button and it like shoots a massive wave of arrows that comes out of Link's bow um, and they just sort of go like pew, 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 and uh, do a, a fuck ton of damage to an enemy um, or you could have like a power shot where you really have to focus in and this is where like the fire arrows could come in maybe the different elemental arrows could be the different abilities so like if you get a light arrow then you can do uh you can do like a multi-shot and if you do like a fire arrow you can do a power shot and the ice arrow uh could stay like a freezing thing but maybe the ice arrow um if it hits the ground it does an area of effect freeze instead i think that would be a cool way to do it um there's lots of ideas when it comes to combat but there's just some of them and again they could also bring in other weapons too like i could see them bringing back the megaton hammer um, and if they use that uh, system from God of War again, um, they could have heavy and light uh, abilities for the hammer. That'd be really cool. Um, in general, the combat just needs to be improved and enhanced in a multitude of ways. Um, and, I, and there are some ideas for them. Honestly, Nintendo, if you want to make Zelda's combat better, just copy God of War. God of War did it perfectly. Um, and you could too if you just copy it. Uh, and going into armor here very briefly, um, armor in Breath of the Wild was fairly good. Um, I think the level of customization uh, through the die shop was cool. I like that you could change the accent of each of your armor pieces. Um, and the upgrading where you have to get materials and go to the fairy fountain was cool. Um, and I'm a fan of that versus just uh, crafting better armor. I don't think that would really fit in too well in a Zelda game. Maybe it would, I don't know. Um, but armor-wise, I think that you should maybe have a little bit more than just, like, boots, hat, armor. I think maybe you should have individual armor pieces. And I know this is kind of controversial, um, and a lot of people think that Zelda should not overcomplicate their armor system. And this isn't even a God of War thing, like, where I'm trying to say God of War did this better. God of War's armor system is basically the same as... Uh, Breath of the Wild. So you just have your three pieces and you just like upgrade them and attach runes and shit to them. Um, which runes would be good but I'm, I'm done talking about God of War's systems for now. I think that Link should be able to have individual armor pieces like helmet slot uh maybe gloves should be a slot tunic should be a slot pants should be a slot boots should be a slot that kind of thing and then 
they should bring back some of those old boots that they used to have in the game, like the iron boots, um, the, the, the boots with the Pegasus boots, that's what they were called, the ones that made you run really fast. And then there was like the light boots from uh, Ocarina of Time that let you walk in the air for a short period of time. Um, the possibilities for Zelda like artifacts that utilize different types of armor would be really cool. They could do like the lens of truth, but instead it could be like the helmet of truth. And when the visor of the helmet of truth is down, um, it shows you basically the same view that you would get from the lens of truth. There's honestly so many things that they could do with more fleshed out armor system and I think it'd be interesting to see um you could sort of have that extra level of customization as well there was already a little bit in Breath of the Wild and my Link ended up wearing a diamond a diamond circlet of protection or something like that and then the hero's tunic and the hero's pants um but I would love to just be able to have like uh, make make Link look a little more steampunky by having like leather armor with like metal pauldrons or something like that. I think that'd be really cool. Just customize him more, and the way he gets the way his armor looks in Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity, which is a whole nother part to this podcast, considering uh, adding things from Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity to the main Zelda game series. Um, his armor looks way cooler and the way you can make him look and the knight's armor and all this different armor looks way cooler in age of calamity i don't know what it is about it um but link just kind of looks way cooler in age of calamity than he does in breath of the wild which is kind of funny um but there's some of my thoughts on armor and combat um again nintendo just copy god of war god of war did your combat system but better in every way so i definitely recommend they just copy it honestly and they could improve upon it too fairly easily. So next let's talk about the story of this Ultimate Zelda game. So the story is always an important element of a Zelda game. In some it's like the main driving force, in others it kind of takes like a backseat, but acts as a way to create sort of the premise for the game to work off of um and some it's like really well written surprisingly um and like i guess there's multiple approaches to this sort of idea for a zelda game's story um it can either be uh fairly like point to point i would think of like skyward sword um when i think of like a more linear zelda game where it's sort of like you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and the story's sort of like the same, and it's more like in detail, I guess you could say. Or there's games like Breath of the Wild where the story is basically, all right, you're awake now, go save Zelda. Um, I think that the perfect way to do a ultimate Zelda game story uh, would to be to take some nods from another game And that game would be like an Elder Scrolls game style of story. So basically, when you start the game, there's lots of exposition. um, And I think that the perfect way to start the game out would be Link in a small town um, as an average Joe. Uh, One of the games, or one of the forms of media that inspired Breath of the Wild's creation uh, was the excellent film uh, Princess Mononoke by Studio Ghibli. It's an anime film. 
um, from Japan about a young hero from a village uh, who's corrupted by a demon um, and he has to go find the spirit of the woods uh, to help cleanse his his corruption and help him slay the demons that are attacking his village. Um, I guess that's kind of like a rough plot synopsis. There's a lot more involved than that and it's it, it might be a little different detail wise I don't exactly remember it's been a hot sec since I've seen Princess Mononoke um but I really really like that sort of like small town hero having to go on a big quest vibe and a lot of Zelda games have had that in the past as well um like Ocarina had that where you sort of start out in the uh in the village in the woods and Link has to go on this journey to deliver a sword to the castle, or I guess that's a different Zelda game. That's uh, that's what happens in Link to the Past, I believe. Um, Link, I don't remember why Link goes to the castle in Ocarina of Time, if I'm being honest with you. But I think that what they should do is they should have a town in a small surrounding area um, be sort of like the tutorial area for the game, right? Um, so, when you are starting out in the game for the first time maybe this this town and the surrounding area can kind of be where you're limited to um and i would assume that they could probably limit it in a simple like as a simple sort of um oh i don't want to go this far from town it's dangerous right now or that kind of thing like they could have like a uh link sort of stop himself from just running off into the wilderness right away because he doesn't feel like he's properly trained or ready to go off into the wilderness yet. That would make sense. Um, and then the tutorial section of the game could have, like, uh, introduce, like, climbing, swimming. I'm thinking sort of like the Orden Village portion of Twilight Princess. Um, but maybe a bit shorter because Orden Village uh, can kind of drag on a little bit, especially if you've played Twilight Princess more than once. Um, and I think there should always be the option to skip this area. If you just want to start a brand new game and be spit out into the world uh, with nothing but the clothes on your back, I think you should be able to do that as well. Um, and this is sort of where it connects to like Fallout New Vegas style. Fallout New Vegas has this system where when you start out, you start out in the town of Good Springs. Um, and there's like NPCs who you're supposed to go talk to. Um, and they're sort of like the tutorial, um, and you can learn how to fight and how to survive from them. Or if you already know what you're doing, you can just walk away from the town, and it'll let you finalize your character, and that's it, and you're done with the tutorial area. And you can come back and pick it up whenever you feel like it, but otherwise you don't have to. And I think that's the perfect way to handle it, and I think that, that would work very well for a Zelda game. I think uh, having that extra bit of story would be great. And I think they at least need to set up um, that Link is going to Hyrule Castle to either deliver a sword or for some sort of event or something like that. Uh, and then um, he's set to depart the next day. So he goes to bed at the end of that day where they have like dialogue and stuff. And then uh, that next day that begins, you can either just set off on your own right then and there or... Uh, if you talk to the townspeople during that day, um, they will offer Link some advice and help and uh, information before he sets out on his travels. 
Um, and so basically, you can go around and talk to all the people in the town. And from there, you can learn how to like survive in the world. You could maybe learn some basic cooking recipes. Uh, you can learn some sort of... You can learn how like the climbing mechanics work and how the swimming mechanics work and that sort of thing. Um, and then after you do that, maybe you get a little extra gear for going through the tutorial. Like maybe you can get a basic like wooden sword and wooden shield that way if you want. Um, or if you want, you can just head out. And once you hit the exit of the village, like leave the village area, the game will say like, are you sure you're ready to set out on your adventure? Uh, you won't be able to return for some time or something like that. Um, and then uh, once you accept, you sort of leave the town. And then maybe the gates have to be closed for a while because there's monsters outside. Um, or there could be some other way that they just sort of stop you from going back immediately and doing the tutorial. Or it could just be that the tutorial area locks out after a certain amount of time and then it just goes to the, the village regularly and they don't have the tutorial dialogue anymore. Um, and then uh, if you do the tutorial uh, little mini quests, uh, after you're done and you've, you're sufficiently satisfied with how much you've achieved and accomplished in the village as far as story goes, uh, you can just set off on your own then and then it'll have the same dialogue. It'll say, if you leave the town now, you'll um, you'll pass up on some adventuring tips or something like that. Um, so then you set out, and once you do set out, the world's open to you, just like it is in Breath of the Wild. I think that this this method of starting the game and having that story um, would handhold you a little more at the beginning of the game, but it would also give you a little more direction, I feel like, and it would add a lot of character to the game. The game... Uh, Breath of the Wild as a game is an amazing game, uh, but as I talked about in my Breath of the Wild review, it's very lacking in the area of story, um, and I would love to see a similar sort of game to Breath of the Wild, um, but with a story more fitting to an open world, and that's where I think the real inspiration from Fallout New Vegas has to come from. So, basically, the quest system from Breath of the Wild was a good step in the right direction, um, but I think it needed to be expanded upon a little bit more um, in a way that um, would also be comparable to like Fallout New Vegas, Skyrim, that kind of thing. I think you should be able to pick up quests from NPCs out in the world and they can be a little more fleshed out because most of the quests you're picking up from NPCs just out in the world are like um, are stuff like, hey, I heard that there's this piece of armor in a chest near a lake. Go find it. And then you don't really, like, get anything for going back. All of the big, like, side quests in Breath of the Wild are fairly simple fetch questy type of things. Um, and you basically just find something in return to the person, and then they give you some money or something like that. Um, I think that it should definitely have more, like, a Bethesda-style questing system. So maybe you go to a town, and there's a town that's being attacked by uh, enemies, and you can intervene and fend off the enemies and if you do maybe they give you a, a a house to sleep in or like you can you can get like a house or I don't know there's there's lots of possible things you could get a house um, you could just get reduced fees and shops and stuff like that that's something that they do in Bethesda games I really like um, or they could have some sort of disposition system like they do in uh, 
in Fable, which is another game series I absolutely love, and I'm kind of taking inspiration from for this uh, for this Ultimate Zelda game. Fable has this thing with the, the morality system, where basically the more good deeds you do in the game, uh, the better your character becomes. Uh, the the more like uh, alignment-wise good your character becomes. And uh, if you reach maximum good alignment in Fable, your character starts to get a halo, and they look more peppy, and they have, like, brighter hair and brighter skin, and they glow, and they're, like, really, like, holy and nice-looking. And then if you're really bad with your character, and you just, like, ruthlessly murder random people or kill your wife, that's the fastest way to get really bad alignment in Fable. For those of you who are looking for some hot new Fable tips... Um, killing your wife is a quick way to get bad morale. <laughs> um, you start to grow like devil horns and have like smoke surrounding you, and like I thought that was really cool. I don't know if that would fit too well in a Zelda game, um, but I do like the idea that the people of different towns could like you more or less depending on what you do. Like Link has zero consequences for just entering someone's house and breaking a bunch of pots. If there was a basic morality and alignment system in Zelda games, um, villagers could get mad at Link for breaking pots, uh, and then he would see a little uh, a little debuff when he enters the town. Like, maybe the villagers aren't so nice to him. Um, and then you could introduce a system where certain side quests um, have different paths based on if you're, um, if you're at a good moral standing with the village or a bad moral standing like maybe um i don't i'm not saying we should turn link into a villain or anything um but maybe there's a fight between a village and like a trader caravan or something um and the villagers say the trader ripped him off and the trader says the villagers ripped him off if you have a better disposition with the trader then you can side with him instead of the villagers and you'll get more reward if you do or something like that that's just some ideas i'm throwing out but anyway um i have a lot more to talk about with the story um so let's continue into it so that's sort of like the leaving the town tutorial section of the story i want to talk more about the overarching story next So, continuing on with the, um, the story for this Ultimate Zelda game. Um, so, after Link completes this, like, tutorial village area, um, in the style of, uh, Twilight Princess's Ordon Village, um, I think that he should either, A, go straight to the castle, um, and right as he approaches the castle, uh, he discovers that there's something terribly wrong, um, and the gates are closed, and there's some bad stuff going on. I don't want the castle to be in ruins already like it was in Breath of the Wild. I want you to have to walk. Um, maybe you walk, uh, and along the way you stumble into some quest stuff that'll get you, like, a horse or something. That would be good. Um, but basically, I think right from the get-go, as soon as you leave the starting village, um, it should be open world like Breath of the Wild. Um, and there can be side quests right away. Um, and your first objective is to go to Hyrule Castle for your main quest. Um, but you can immediately run off and start doing stuff for people like strangers. 
Uh, and some of that stuff could include, like I said before, like a mission where you have to, um, maybe there's like a town you can go to where there's ranching, like in the ranching portions of Twilight Princess, um, or you can, uh, immediately go towards the ocean and find a boat dock and, uh, rent a boat, eventually being able to purchase a boat, um, or you could head to a town that's being attacked by monsters and go help immediately. Um, but basically, you're sort of open to roam around right from the get-go and do side quests right from the get-go. If you don't want to take this sword or whatever the gift is for the princess straight to Hyrule Castle, um, you don't have to yet. Um, but the big thing should be when you do eventually decide to go straight to Hyrule Castle, this is really just the beginning of the game. Um, if you want to avoid the main story and go off and explore and find like random caves with mini dungeons in them to crawl and stuff like that, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, but the main story quest is where you're going to find your big dungeons. Um, and so let's say either you leave the tutorial village and the mailman comes by and he's bringing urgent news to your village that the castle town, that the castle, Hyrule Castle has fallen or something like that. Um, and maybe it's not something outside that's going to affect Castletown directly, um, but instead there's some sort of coup on the inside, um, and control has been transferred over to someone other than the royal family. And a big thing, I think, as well, as much as I think it would be a good idea to have um, in a traditional Zelda game, um, like... Castletown sort of destroyed for the entirety of the game. I think that like halfway through the story, um, you should get to a point where you defeat Ganondorf and like get him out of the get him out of the castle and get him out of Castletown. And then Castletown turns into like a more lively place with a lot more to do. Um, and then after that is when he goes into the mountains. Maybe I've always thought it would be really cool if he set up his uh, his evil fortress, Ganon's Tower, um, like in the middle of Death Mountain or something like that. I thought that would be really neat, especially after playing through the portions in Breath of the Wild um, where you climb to the top to fight the Divine Beast uh, Salamander guy. Um, how cool would it be if Ganon's like, tower was up there, like poking out of the top of the volcano and like when you get there it starts to erupt or something for the final boss and the final climactic fight that'd be really cool um but yeah i think when you go to castletown for the first time for the main quest um it should be similar to when you go there in twilight princess again i'm taking lots of inspiration from twilight princess as much as i like twilight princess i definitely wouldn't call it my favorite zelda game I think the themes of Twilight Princess, though, are very much kind of what I'm going for for this game, because in a way, Twilight Princess is one of the most Zelda games, Zelda games in my eye. Um, the Link portions, especially, like, when he's not a wolf, are, like, it feels like the most Zelda game, Zelda game, and that's sort of why I keep talking about Twilight Princess so much. Maybe I'm closeted a huge Twilight Princess fan or something, and I'm just, like, not open about it, but... Um, I genuinely like Twilight Princess, but I don't think it's, you know, the best Zelda game or anything. So I don't know why I keep bringing it up specifically. Um, but when you first enter Castletown in Twilight Princess, which you should also count how many times I've been saying that word in this video, um, in this podcast, I should say. 
you're there as Wolf Link, and all of the people are inside, and they have their windows shut and boarded up, and, like, all their doors are closed, and, like, the only real signs of life are there's a couple guards hanging out in Telma's bar, um, and I really like this. I like how, uh, it seemed like the whole city was on lockdown mode, and I think that's a good way to introduce Castletown. I think Link should just sort of walk into Castletown, uh, the gates are closed, and he has to open them, and maybe that's, like, a little mini puzzle, so he has to figure out how to open the gates, um, and when he does, there's just wind blowing through the streets. There's not a sound. And you can see, like, muffled light coming from certain houses and stuff like that. But the streets are empty. And maybe when Link enters the square of Castletown, he's attacked by a group of Ganon's army. Like, a, a group of monsters or something like that. Um, and as it continues towards the castle, the castle's actual gates... Um, he discovers that inside there's a lot of, uh, like, bad stuff going on. And then maybe someone, like, leads him uh, to, like, a hideout where people are hiding out in Castletown. Um, and he gets sort of introduced to these people, and they're, like, they tell him what's going on, and they tell him, oh, we need to get this item and this item and this item um, to uh, get Ganondorf out of the castle. And maybe this is where, like, the pendants from Link to the Past come in, or collecting the shards of the Triforce from Wind Waker come in, or just restoring power to the Master Sword, like in that game that I've talked about many times in this podcast episode. Um, But basically, Link would be just a normal boy at this point, not awakened to his hero's powers. Um, And he would discover that Castletown is completely uh, closed off, and there's no way he's getting in there to defeat Ganon unless if he uh, either brings the power back to the Master Sword or has some magical relic or something along those lines. And I think when he sees the gates closed to the castle and he sees Ganondorf and he sees all the bad guys, it's where he shows his courage because he'd probably try to run in and then some character would like stop him and be like, you can't defeat Ganon, don't, don't go in there. And then they take them down into the sewers, and in the sewers is where there's, like, a a hideout of people who are trying to uh, find the hero and uh, resist Ganon's uh, control on the city of Castletown itself. I think that would be really fascinating, and I would love to see sort of, like, a lot more put into the characters. Breath of the Wild had some excellent, excellent, excellent characters, um, but they didn't get a spotlight as much in breath of the wild itself like you talk to them and then they basically just acted as shopkeepers or like they would give you like three side quests and then you'd go back to them and they wouldn't have anything to say or do um other than just some lines of dialogue that repeated i think it would be excellent if they introduced sort of more more um juicy characters if that makes any sense like characters with backstory characters with goals um, I really like that in Breath of the Wild, Rivali was an asshole. They need more asshole characters in Zelda games because Rivali was an asshole, but he was so helpful it was hard to be mad at him. Um, and that's what I really appreciated about it. Uh, and this is the part where I really think they should take a line from Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which I still haven't finished, by the way, um, because I've been playing God of War instead of Nintendo games. Uh, but Age of Calamity seriously has 
it took the characters from Breath of the Wild and it made them feel like real fleshed out characters. Um, and as much as like Mifa in the original Breath of the Wild story had a lot of like backstory and exposition, the rest of them were kind of just there. The rest of the champions and most of the characters other than the champions in Breath of the Wild were just kind of there to exist as well. They didn't really have any story. Um, but Age of Calamity did an excellent job sort of like introducing you to um, introducing you to the characters again and giving you a little more information on their backstory and how they became champions and I really appreciated that and I actually really liked that about Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity specifically um, but I think they should have more more small characters with bigger roles and I think that there should definitely be some sort of like some characters who uh, as far as Link is concerned exist kind of in a gray area of uh, being good or evil. There's way too many like clean cookie cutter good or evil people in uh, in the Zelda games. I, there needs to be some more gray. That's what I'm saying. Like one of these people that are running Ganon's like resistance group or whatever, maybe they uh, want to um, maybe they want to defeat Ganon and their idea for it is blowing up the castle. Um, but maybe they have like certain attendants um, and helpers in the castle and that kind of thing. Or maybe they just have captives in the jail or citizens uh, imprisoned inside of the castle. So if they blew up the castle, sure it would take out Ganondorf, but it would also take out citizens. Or maybe um, this gray character could suggest that in order to more easily defeat Ganondorf... Um, Link needs to get this bow, but this bow belongs to uh, another person, and it's a family heirloom, so uh, in order to get it, Link would just have to steal the bow. He would have to take it from a person, um, and the person would just not want to have it taken from them at all. There needs to be some more gray, there needs to be some more, is this person good, is this person bad in the Zelda games, because genuinely, most of the characters are very... Uh, cookie cutter, yes they're good, yes they're bad, and I think that if they really focused on the story a little bit more, um, a good way to do that would be by introducing some more uh, characters with greater depth and uh, more of like a gray sort of good versus evil motif, um, and that's sort of how I feel about the story. Obviously, eventually, the Resistance would manage to scrap together um, whatever they needed from Link or enough stuff from themselves then maybe you attack the castle with the resistance um, and capture it back from Ganondorf and Ganondorf flees and that's about the halfway point in the game is when he flees um, and then after he flees Hyrule Castle is when he goes and sets up Ganon's tower in Death Mountain um, and maybe there's like teases that he's already working on it throughout the first half of the game but then the second half of the game is you um you finally find Zelda. I don't think Zelda needs to be captive the entire game. Let her free for the second half of the game, and she's the one who knows how to seal Ganon away properly, and that would require you to either find the Triforce pieces or, again, find another weapon. So there's, like, two sort of major steps in sealing Ganon again in this Zelda game, um, and... 
that's sort of how I feel a good story would work in a Zelda game, um, where it would sort of be a bit of the old classic style Zelda story, um, but with some new elements thrown in. And dungeons are next up on our discussion here, folks. Let's talk about some dungeons. Alright, so next up on the discussion, of course, is the dungeons for this Ultimate Zelda game. Um, Dungeons have always been an important part of uh, most, if not all, Zelda games. Um, They're sort of like the areas where the games really get to flex kind of what they're all about. You know, puzzle solving, um, light and easy, easily accessible combat. Um, There's usually quite a bit of decent story moments in dungeons, and usually uh, the dungeons have some sort of important item. Um, and usually the dungeons sort of like progress the story in a major way as well um, by completing them. Um, some good examples of, in my opinion, some really great dungeons. Um, the, the Wind and Earth temples from Wind Waker were always some of my favorites. I'm a little biased because that's my first ever um, Zelda game. Um, but those ones were very sprawling, and there was lots of hidden areas and items and extra little trinkets to find, and I really liked that. Um, the ones that always stood out to me from the Twilight Princess, there's another one for your counter, um, were like the Water Temple in Twilight Princess, um, and the, the City in the Sky in Twilight Princess was always an epic one. Especially that final boss fight, oh my god. The final boss fight, slight spoiler for the Twilight Princess uh, City in the Sky uh, dungeon. The final boss is like this dragon, and um, he like swoops down and tries to grab you, and Link jumps on his back and is riding this dragon through the air and stabbing him in his like back crystal, and it's so sick. It's seriously so awesome. Um, and to bring up God of War again, even though I'm going to talk about it a lot more when I get around to reviewing the game after I finish it, hopefully soon. Um, the There's a lot of fights in God of War that have the same sort of energy, like climbing the enemy and like uh, carting them around to kill some other enemies before you take them down, or climbing them and stabbing them in some sort of weak spot, or all sorts of stuff like that. The finishers in God of War are very reminiscent to this uh, this sort of thing that I'm talking about. But there's really some great stuff there. You're, like, using your double claw shots in this fight that you just unlocked um, to, like, zip from building to building and, uh, and take on, like, certain... Uh, take on, like, go to, like, certain towers... And use those certain towers to then have height advantage on the dragon, um, and then latch onto his um, latch onto his back. It's actually it's it's a really good fight, and I highly recommend you check it out if you're interested in seeing kind of what I'm talking about here. Um, but anyway, our ultimate Zelda game, of course, a big thing is we have to bring back the elemental themed dungeons. Um, Especially prudent is that there's one that has a water theme. We need another water temple. 
we have not had a proper water temple in a Zelda game in so long. And that being said, uh, the water temple, there's not, there is the divine beast elephant in Breath of the Wild that has uh, sort of like a loose water theme. Um, but that's only really in the fact that the elephant is uh, in the possession of the Zora and like there's water around it I guess there's some water elements because the elephant's trunk sprays water <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure at least I think so um, but otherwise once you get into the divine beast you're basically seeing all that same sort of like Sheikah architecture uh, kind of stuff and that's sort of uh, one of Breath of the Wild's biggest pitfalls which is something I talked about to great lengths in my Breath of the Wild Mario Odyssey review episode of the podcast um but I just kind of want to reiterate that here all the dungeons in Breath of the Wild um while some of them very excellent were basically like Sheikah styled um futuristic past like stone electricity interiors (laughs) there wasn't really that much um diversity to them some of them you were like the divine beast you were in the sky and you could control certain parts of the dungeon and move them around because they were giant um wandering um robots basically and that was pretty cool um but that being said um breath of the wild was severely lacking on the dungeon front and honestly um it didn't really have any sort of um themed dungeons and that was kind of like a thing that I had come to expect from the Legend of Zelda and I know they were trying to mix up the formula as well but we talked about this the dungeons that were in the game were fine albeit completely unmemorable in every way um the main thing that I remember from the Divine Beasts in Breath of the Wild is that there was one where there was like a hanging chest and you had to like shoot an arrow to Uh, break it and then pull out your magnesis rune to grab it and pull it uh, to the platform before it fell and then you just didn't get the item Um, that's the most memorable one I can think of Um, and the exteriors of course are super memorable I can like envision all of the divine beasts themselves in my head Um, but the actual dungeons inside of them I, I can remember like a couple of the boss fights like I remember fighting the um fighting inside of the elephant divine beast sorry i don't know the names of them if that bothers you breath of the wild fans i think it's like van von nabora or something no is that the camel i don't know (laughs) um as i remember the final boss for the elephant divine beast um i don't remember it's like uh freaking light something like water blight or ice blight ganon or something like that and the room fills with water, and there's, like, stone platforms you have to stand on, and then the, uh, the, the, like, mini Ganon boss fight you have in there is, like, mostly ice-based, um, and you do, like, you make ice platforms with your ice rune to avoid Ganondorf's, uh, blasts and shit like that. I don't know. It was... It was fine. I honestly, the dungeons were there, and when you got to them, it was like, oh, I'm in a dungeon. But the thing about Breath of the Wild is the best dungeons in Breath of the Wild, in my opinion, 
um, were added in DLC. And those were the Trial of the Sword, different layers of dungeons, um, and the Champion's Ballad um, dungeon where you get Link's Divine Beast. Wink, wink, no spoilers. Um, those ones were very interesting. The, the Champion's Ballad one was kind of just another Sheikah dungeon, but it was at least more of a creative one, and it had a much better payoff than the other ones, um, but the, uh, the actual Trial of the Sword dungeons were themed after the exterior, um, areas of the world of Breath of the Wild, uh, and, like, certain floors had certain themes. Some of them were still, like, interior Sheikah modern stone electricity shit um but some of them were like water based and you had to like sail a raft inside of the dungeon and there was all sorts of cool little stuff like that they were definitely not as explorative as i remember my childhood zelda games dungeons being um but they were certainly far more interesting than what the base game had to offer and i'm glad that they were there all in all, the DLC greatly improved my opinion of Breath of the Wild, and without it, I probably would have been a little more disappointed um, than how uh, how much I liked the game. I I really, really like Breath of the Wild, but it, of course, has its faults, um, which I've talked about again, but it's a really great game, um, and I'm glad the DLC was there because the DLC only increased my opinion of the game. Um, and kind of fixed some of the minor issues that I had with it, but it did not fix all of them. So hopefully Breath of the Wild 2 will surprise us, uh, and that's why I'm kind of making this video. I'm, it's kind of like a list of things I want in Breath of the Wild 2 without calling it that. Um, I'm sort of just putting out there what I think is the best of the best when it comes to Zelda games. Uh, in talking about the dungeons, so I want each dungeon to have an item again. Um, a big thing that was missing from Breath of the Wild was the item system. The item system was such a staple of Zelda games, I can't believe they released one without it. And what I mean by that, of course, is um, every dungeon has an item. Like, let's say uh, the in, in, um, in Wind Waker... Dragon Roost Island gets you the grappling hook, or um, the the one on um, the freaking island. What's it called? The island, the freaking uh, I don't even remember what it's called. The one with the great Deku tree in Wind Waker. It's been a while since I played Wind Waker, folks. Um, gets you like the leaf, and then I'm pretty sure you get the boomerang there as well. Um, that was sort of like a twofer in a way, I guess. But I guess you get the leaf before you enter the dungeon, technically. Um, and Twilight Princess had the claw shot in the water temple. And the top in the Arbiter's Grounds, that's what it was called, I remembered. <laughs> Go back to the desert part of this podcast where I was talking about the desert uh, in Twilight Princess. And tell uh, past Hyrulean that the, the top is called, or the top is in the Arbiter's Ground. That's where it's from. Um... And the top wasn't used very much, that being said. Or the ball and chain um, from the snow place in Twilight Princess. Uh, that also was not used very much, but that's a story for another video. 
I have some critiques for Twilight Princess as well. Don't worry, folks. I need to do a replay of that, honestly. My, uh, my only drawback to that is I'm worried that they're going to re-release it on the Switch. Um, so anyway, back to the dungeons for this Ultimate Zelda game. We need four elemental dungeons minimum. Uh, and each of them should have an item, uh, important item. They should reserve another button on the face buttons um, as like a, an item button. Um, so you can still have that item system, um, but you don't have to take away from that epic, uh, that epic combat, um, that I was talking about earlier. Maybe they can find, like, a, a trigger or some shit to put it on. That might be a good way to handle it. I don't know. Um, or a bumper or some shit. Like, I guess in Breath of the Wild, the, one of the bumpers does shield, I think, but I don't recall what the other one does. It's been a while since I played Breath of the Wild as well. Um, but either way, they need to figure it out so you can have items again. Items, items, items. <laughs> Even if they're contextual items. God of War does contextual items where you... Most of them aren't extremely useful in combat situations. Um, but there are ones that are like, oh, oh this unlocks a whole new area. Uh, for example, there's like this like fire chisel thing... Um, and when you get it, this, like, companion character that you have goes like, Oh, now we can unlock all those magic doors we've been seeing the entire game. And I was like, oh. Because <laughs> um, I'd walk up to these doors and they'd be magically locked. And it would say, like, this door is sealed by magic or whatever. And I was like, oh, that sucks. I wonder if this unlocks somehow. And I'd look around for, like, an hour and it didn't unlock. And that's And then I found the chisel and I was like, oh. And that you didn't need a button for or anything, because you just walked up to the uh, the magic door and pressed the A button or whatever. I guess since it's a PlayStation, it'd be like X or Circle or some shit. And then uh, from there, you just use the chisel. Or, like, um, you get, like, certain elemental arrows that have certain effects as well, um, and you can switch them out. That's right. God of War has elemental arrows. I told you guys, Breath of the Wild... Zelda inspired game for sure. There's no way it's not, honestly. Uh, um, and going into other dungeons, I really love the shrines. I feel like they could keep the shrines as is in the game, if that makes any sense. So, like, bring the shrines back um, in some form, maybe change like what they are. Um, but otherwise, the shrines themselves were great bite sized dungeons. And I know it's kind of greedy of me to want like a lot of big dungeons and then have them work on like a couple hundred small dungeons as well that's like kind of unrealistic expectations wise but with how long they spend on these games and how big their teams are I think it's possible and if I if I didn't think it was possible I wouldn't um necessarily say it in this podcast um but the the mini bite-sized dungeons that you could find with the shrines um, were really nice. I think the shrines were a highlight of Breath of the Wild as far as dungeons go because they were just quick in and out um, and they still give you something sort of like little tiny side things to do and I like that a lot. And you could go through the entire game without doing any of them um, but it'll make it significantly harder for you if you do and you don't unlock fast travel points. I like how they were sort of fast travel points and pieces of heart at the same time because they remove pieces of heart from Breath of the Wild but instead 
you collected spirit orbs and the spirit orbs gave you an extra heart container so it was it worked the same way it was like do a mini dungeon get a fast travel point get part of a piece of heart and bob's your uncle and i really like that and the bite-sized dungeons should stay um maybe they can just bring them in as like caves or um like little mini crypts or some shit like that i don't know they or they could just bring back shrines i don't care um and that's sort of how i feel about dungeons folks i know that was sort of like kind of uh off track for a little while there um but i think it's important to talk about what makes a zelda dungeon really a zelda dungeon and that of course is like having items that are important and you have to use them throughout the whole dungeon and like having themes first of all (laughs) themes are really important surprisingly without themes the dungeons all just kind of don't stay memorable I literally could not tell you the name of any dungeon, like any divine beast, um, or any of the shrine names or anything like that, because they're all the same. It almost feels like one big dungeon that's scattered throughout the entire game, if that makes sense. Um, and there was like some hints to bigger dungeons in the game, in the game as well, with like that temple that you could find in that canyon. Um, it looked really cool, and it was like, oh wow there's a dungeon in this game and it's like oh wait no it's not a dungeon it's just the the ruins of a temple but that's how i feel about dungeons folks and let's move on and talk about something else here so for our final segment today i wanted to talk briefly about um what this sort of zelda game uh would entail for nintendo um what system it could be on, how it could play, that kind of thing. So obviously, when I think of this game, I think of it running on the Nintendo Switch. I would love to see a Switch Pro come out. Um, And if you play on the Switch Pro, you can get 4K. Um, But honestly, to me as a gamer, what counts more than 4K, and what I really kind of hope they do for Breath of the Wild 2, is focus on 60 FPS. Um, jumping between Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey is like night and day. Mario Odyssey benefits so much from its 60 FPS native gameplay, um, and it feels so smooth, and the animation seems so, like, lively, um, and the game just, like, is bursting at the seams with life and, uh, character that's added in the minute details of the smoothness of the animations. Um, Breath of the Wild, since it was designed for the Wii U first, um, does not have 60 FPS, uh, and the only way you can really experience it with 60 FPS is if you run it on the Wii U emulator CMU for PC, um, and I have, and it's fucking glorious. Um, what I hope they do for Breath of the Wild 2 is really think about actually making the game natively support 60 FPS before they focus on 4K. I would rather have 1080p 60 FPS as a sweet spot for the Switch than 4K 30 FPS because I am so spoiled. Um, when I play on my PS5, 60 FPS is basically like a like a no-brainer. Like every game has 60 FPS, which is something I'm getting used to because back in the previous console generations I've played on, I've always had to deal with 30 on every console. Um, but the PS5 has been graced with true, 
uh, capabilities to actually run pretty much every game at 60 FPS, except for the backwards compat titles that were locked to 30 from the old consoles. Um, and I've been so spoiled by playing games in 60 FPS now on console as well um, that I really just wish the Switch wish the Switch supported it for every game. Um, and on PC as well, I'm even more spoiled. I've been getting used to even higher 144 hertz refresh rate on PC recently because I upgraded my monitor. Um, so the Switch is locked 30 frames per second for Breath of the Wild and for some other Switch games. is really starting to be noticeable to me. I used to be able to kind of deal with it and I would be fine. Um, but it's to a point now where... I notice 30 FPS a lot more than I would notice 4K versus 1080p. Um, so I would much more appreciate 60 FPS to be a priority for Breath of the Wild 2 and for this theoretical Ultimate Zelda game. Um, as far as art styles go, I think Breath of the Wild hit a very good spot as far as art styles go. Um, it sort of has the timeless look of Wind Waker. Not quite as timeless, I don't think, but I guess time will tell. <laughs> um, with the sort of mature, more mature looking uh, Twilight Princess adultish look to it as well. It's got like a pseudo anime style art style, and I think that works really well. And I think with a couple tweaks, they could sort of continue doing that for future Zelda games, and it would just kind of be a staple it'd be really interesting to see i'm 100 down for them to try some really hd ass shit like they did with twilight princess on the on the wii um and the gamecube i guess they really tried to make that game look like high quality in terms of graphical fidelity um but that being said it's aged a lot more because of that but if they want to go balls to the walls and make a game that looks fucking gorgeous okay but i really want 60 fps um, and I think the sweet spot would be getting a similar art style to Breath of the Wild, maybe a little more refined, um, and trying to target 1080p 60fps, but above all else. Um, but we'll see what Nintendo end up does, uh, ends up doing. There's something about Breath of the Wild, and I think it might be that Breath of the Wild uses dynamic resolution scaling. I'm not sure if it does or not, um, for sure, but it kind of seems like it does. Uh, when, when you play Mario Odyssey... Um, and when you play Animal Crossing, um, those games just look sharp. Like, they have a sharpness to them that I really, really adore. Um, and for a Nintendo game, it's really, really rare to see sharpness, like true sharpness. And Animal Crossing, even, I sometimes notice that the depth of field effect makes some of the background elements look super blurry. Um, but Mario Odyssey specifically, being like the second major game to come out for the Switch, just tramples Breath of the Wild in terms of graphics. And I understand that Breath of the Wild was a forwards compatible title uh, and it was a launch title for the Switch, um, but I really hope that they kind of work on that sharpness and getting like a nice, sharp, clear 1080p image running at 60fps. Um, and they can keep the art style uh, mostly the same. Uh, they could tweak it a little bit and maybe get some better stuff. Uh, like, I think they might need, they might do them good to work on, like, a little bit more serious style, um, of that same sort of Breath of the Wild style, because Breath of the Wild has a very good art style, um, but it's kind of, like, has this conflicting, like, childish, like, toon Zelda style look versus, like, a more mature Twilight Princess style look. If they leaned a little more into the mature look, I think it would really 
make the art style pop even more than it already does. Uh, and obviously this game would be huge. Um, and this would be bigger than Breath of the Wild in theory if they did it exactly how I said. Um, but Nintendo's got a big team and they have, you know, a lot of time. They've been working on Breath of the Wild 2 for so many years now and it's not coming out anytime soon at the time of releasing this podcast. Um, they even announced that a Nintendo Direct, uh, I don't know if it was earlier this month or last month, I think it was last month now, that it's not coming in 2021, basically. They just said, uh, we'll tell you some more about it later this year. Okay. <laughs> um, but I would really love to see uh, this game come out with just a shit ton of polish and if they could take some of these elements from my sort of ideal Ultimate Zelda game, I think it would really benefit uh, Nintendo as a whole. They need to be not afraid to copy other companies. Uh, Nintendo has always done their own thing to their benefit, and I think that's one of the best things about them as a company. Um, but copying other people's successful games is not something that's not necessarily a bad thing, as long as you do it in your own way. Um, like, I'm not saying they should just make God of War, but with Link. Um, that would be kind of dope, not gonna lie. Um, but I think that they could take elements from God of War and make a Zelda game that feels even more like a Zelda game than Breath of the Wild does. And they could easily make something better than Breath of the Wild if they really tried. Um, but that's sort of my thoughts on, like, the Ultimate Zelda game. Uh, and I think that's, like, sort of where I'm about to wrap this up here. Um, so let's get into the conclusion really quickly and then we'll call it a day on this episode. But yeah, that's sort of how, where I think, um, this Ultimate Zelda game should sit in terms of graphics and running on the Switch Pro and all that shit. Or the Switch Plus or whatever they're going to call the inevitable Switch 2 style console. Alright folks, let's stop uh, getting all convoluted and shit here. Let's just wrap this baby up. Uh, conclusion time here. So, the ultimate Zelda game. Um, basically, Breath of the Wild, but with more quests, more story focus. Um, hell, maybe some, uh, some elements stolen from God of War, some elements stolen from Fallout New Vegas. Uh, deeper more like mean characters I guess you could say um, some combat uh, changes and tweaks based on the excellent combat found inside of 2018's God of War um, honestly all of this is very achievable for Nintendo I don't see any reason why Nintendo shouldn't be able to pull something like this off and who knows I mean we know virtually nothing about Breath of the Wild 2. Maybe they'll release Breath of the Wild 2, and Breath of the Wild 2 will have... It's a train! Maybe they'll release Breath of the Wild 2, and Breath of the Wild 2 will have a lot of this stuff that I'm talking about um, wanting inside of it. Um, but that being said, there's some of my thoughts about like what would be good. Um, I would be... I would just... I would love to see a Zelda game made by a completely different team. Like, I know they took Breath of the Wild and gave it to, like, the younger Nintendo employees and let them have a little more creative freedom than they normally allow at Nintendo. I would just love to see what, like, Nintendo... what a Zelda game could look like 
if they outsourced it and worked in collaboration with like the people who made God of War. God of War, I'm getting further and further into this game, and it's starting to feel more and more like a really amazing Zelda game, even though it's not. I wish Nintendo would work with some different developers and try some stuff out. I don't know if... I think they're called Santa Monica something. Um, has, like, a contract to be only working with Sony. But it would be so cool to see them make a Zelda game in this style. Maybe even in the same engine as God of War. Um, not that it'd be able to run on the Switch without a lot of tweaks, but... Uh, that game, God of War, seriously, it looks great. It plays great. I can't wait to talk about it in my review, so I'm going to save all my freaking extra praise for that. Um, but Nintendo needs to take some serious risks. It really paid off for them in Breath of the Wild. Um, and if they take some more risks and really refine those risks um, and get some new, fresh ideas in the games, I think we're in for an interesting uh, Breath of the Wild sequel. Um and this theoretical Zelda game I'm talking about, of course, let's talk about a name idea. So I sort of talked about how, uh, the, I, I sort of talked about how the, the premise would center around Link, um, going to Castletown to deliver something for his, like, town, and discovering that the castle was taken over by Ganon, and there was, like, a resistance trying to kick him out. I think a good name for, um, I think a good name for it would be, like, The Legend of Zelda, um, Ganon's Resistance or something like that, or maybe, um, Heroes Unite sounds too cliche. I like Ganon's Resistance, or I like Link's Army, that'd be cool, like, uh, The Legend of Zelda, Link's Army, or maybe The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild 2, Link's Army, that sounds pretty good, um, or The Legend of Zelda, uh, maybe it could be called, like, Breath of Hope or something like that. Something really cliche could be interesting. I think, um, Ganon's Resistance sounds really, sounds really cool. Or maybe, uh, I don't know. There's lots of cool ideas, um, and I really would love to see, they said, specifically if I recall some of the people working on Breath of the Wild 2 that they were taking some inspiration from Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, story wise for Breath of the Wild 2 and I really hope that's true because Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of my favorite games um, as far as stories and video games go I don't know if I ever did a podcast episode really talking about it but I beat the story mode of Red Dead Redemption 2 and I was like very emotional that game sucked me in um and the characters in that game were excellent, and they were very much sort of that gray, um, very juicy, meaty characters that I was talking about that Zelda really needs. I hope they are serious about that, and I hope they really are focusing on the story for this new game. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. like If they need to give Link a voice in order to make the story more interesting and deep, go for it. I mean, he can already sort of talk in Breath of the Wild. There's just no voice actor. Um, but like the dialogue options, you have the option to remain silent for 90% of the game if you want to have that like classic Link style um, in your dialogue. But I feel like the game would benefit very much from a voiced Link. Um, and Breath of the Wild's Link even is very much different from the classic Link. 
Um, the fact that he most of the time does not even wear the green hat, the iconic green hat, really kind of proves that. So I think they should take that a step further, and they could voice him, and I probably wouldn't even care. Um, I think that there's also room for them to bring in uh, multiplayer elements like people have always wanted. Um, like in the trailer for Breath of the Wild 2, um, you see Link in like Zelda with a short haircut walking through this cave. I think it would be really neat to see the option to play as either character or swap between them. It'd be really cool to have sort of like a like a follower system, right? And this is me getting into like my crazy ideas that are like so out there and wacky that there's probably no way that they're actually doing this. Um, but I would find it very fascinating if they did. So, um, a game that I've never beat, uh, but played a decent amount of was Luigi's Mansion 3. And in Luigi's Mansion 3, you can control Gooigi, um, which is like a ectoplasm-based version of Luigi that can, like, squeeze through, uh, iron bars, um, and other than a couple of restrictions, like, you can't touch water, uh, and a couple other things. He can, like, walk through spikes. Um, he can basically do everything regular Luigi can as far as, like, sucking ghosts and activating levers and things is concerned, which is really cool. Um, and some of those, like, multiplayer switching between two different characters uh, gameplay segments in Luigi's Mansion 3 were really fun. Um, and I would love to see a Zelda game where you play as Link and Zelda is, like, a follower, um, and you can, like, tech out Zelda and give her, like, special armor and weapons and stuff, um, and turn her into a proper, like, fighter, uh, and then you can also switch to play as her for certain elements, um, and then even if you wanted to, maybe there could be a way where you could sort of play the game co-op with someone else, and one player plays as Link and one player plays as Zelda. This is completely out there, and it would change up the whole Zelda kind of formula, um, but I think it'd be very interesting. You could sort of have, like, a, like those dungeons in Wind Waker where you control two characters um, by using the song of... The song of change, is that what it is? Or... It's not the song of passing. That's the night and day one. The And it's not, like, the song of... Tra it's, like, the song of change, the song of transformation, some shit like that, um, to swap between Link and, like, statues for certain parts... Or for a couple dungeons, there's like a follower character that you can control. I think it would be really sweet if you could push a button and switch between playing as Link and Zelda. And I guess that would kind of take some uh, notes from Hyrule Warriors as well, because Hyrule Warriors has quite a bit of that. Um, but think of the puzzle possibilities if they added another character, another playable character. Um, you could like have Link stand on like a button and Zelda has to go and find another button and stand on it. And, like, um, if you do it in co-op, there could be, like, a special co-op dungeon that only uh, two players playing in co-op mode could com complete. Um, and it could be, like, it could require synchronization and timing and stuff like that. That'd be really cool. Um, but then the rest of the game could just have, like, swapping character mechanic-based uh, puzzles. Um, and they could each have their own unique ability. Uh, like, Zelda could focus more on archery and, like, let, let Link take a break from archery and really hone in on, like, melee weapons. And then Zelda does all archery with, like, her light bow. That would be really cool. Or, honestly, anything like that. A lot of people have really wanted 
either A, the option to choose between Link and Linkle at the beginning of the game, uh, like picking between male Link or female Link um, for your character, or um, the option to play as Zelda or Link. Um, and I think it's sort of like having this hot swap functionality where you could still have Link as the main character would work very well. Um, and there could be segments where Zelda gets separated from Link and you just can only play as Link. Um, but if they do that, that would take away the possibility of having the game be a co-op game as well. Um, so it'd be up to Nintendo to figure out how they wanted to handle that. But honestly, I, uh, I'm a big fan of the female-male Link choice. Um, I've been playing a bit of Breath of the Wild on the CMU emulator for the Wii U on my PC, and I have the Linkle mod downloaded, and it's epic. It's an epic mod. Um, and not only that, speaking of epic mods for Breath of the Wild, there was recently discovered a first-person glitch for Breath of the Wild on the Switch, and I could not replicate it easily because it was kind of difficult to set up. Um, but I found out that CMU has a first-person mod for Breath of the Wild, and I downloaded that, and Breath of the Wild plays surprisingly well in first person. I was really surprised. Some of the scale stuff didn't work too well, and since none of the animations of, like, Link swinging the sword or drawing back the bow or anything like that were set up for first person, rather than trying to adapt the third person animations into first person, um, the person who made the mod opted instead to just hide Link's body um, but it, honestly it works pretty well and you can like get on your horse and ride your horse around in first person and aiming is really really easy like I was pulling some pretty epic pop shots on some fucking moblins in first person Breath of the Wild um, I think perspective choices would be an interesting thing for Breath of the Wild for sure this is definitely more on the back burner even than say like uh, a co-op mode or the ability to choose a gender but I think first person mode for a Zelda game would be really cool and it would really kind of like own in on that idea um, that you're sort of supposed to be stepping into Link's shoes um, and first person honestly from what I've messed with on the Breath of the Wild mod works surprisingly well um so there are some of my thoughts about Breath of the Wild and what the ultimate Zelda game would look like um, and some of my hopes for Breath of the Wild 2 tied in there. I was just going to make this podcast like my Breath of the Wild 2 wish list, um, but then I realized how unrealistic some of my wishes were, so I decided to instead turn it into this, the ultimate Zelda game uh, wish list. So this is like a completely speculative like dream wish list versus um, what would have been a completely pointless uh, wish list for an actual Zelda game because it would have been dumb to like ask for questing and like uh, certain elements from like God of War to come into the Zelda games and certain elements from Fallout New Vegas to come into the Zelda games. Nintendo's not going to do that. Nintendo likes to do things their own way. They like to mix things up for us and surprise us in weird ways we're not expecting so uh the likelihood of that kind of stuff happening is very slim so that's why i decided to make it a like theoretical ultimate zelda game wish list instead 
Um, but either way, you got some of those, like, Breath of the Wild 2 uh, deepest, darkest wishes um, out of the way. And uh, I hope you folks enjoyed this little speculative journey. It's been a real blast. It's been a real jaunt. Um, and, yeah. Freaking... There's a decent podcast for you. Last week's was quite a shit show. This one started to become a shit show in the last segment, but I kind of feel like I pulled it back together at the end just a little bit. Um, but now we are uh, officially done with this podcast, and I'm officially pulling into my driveway and ready to go to bed. So have a wonderful day, night, evening, afternoon, whatever you want to call it. Goodbye.